like a child missing a blanket. I'm not thinking to move on with my life. It burns myself and I. Does it go to Big Girls Don't Cry next? Yes. Oh my god, I don't know. Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm your host, Katie. And today we are talking about part three of John Bonet Ramsey. Three of three? Yes. Okay. Last episode of John Bonet, guys. And then we'll be moving on to something else. Why don't you start us off, Katie? When we left off last week, detectives had just arrived in Atlanta for another gravesite surveillance. When they arrived, they discovered John Bonet had been given a headstone that listed her date of death December 25th. We're picking up at the start of 1998. And if you remember from part two, detectives had been working with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to bug the Ramsey home and issue grand jury subpoenas. Once January 98 arrived, police commander decided that bugging the home was too risky and he would not approve the warrant, despite the backing of the GBI. His concern was the possibility of them getting caught in a massive scandal hitting the media headlines, which would be another blow to the Boulder PD. Of course, this was a huge letdown and once again a setback in the investigation. His only concern was that this was scandalous, what they were doing. Now, does that ever give someone a warrant to be like, ooh, maybe we shouldn't be doing this? I mean, I guess it's up to the police chief and the police commander. So if they don't want to do it, they can tell you no. When you've already looked really, really bad throughout the whole thing, they're not like just trying to put out more stuff to make themselves look worse, I think. Yeah, but this is them doing their jobs. I can't really... Yeah, they just didn't want anything bad about the Ramses coming out, basically. The truth. Yeah, potentially the truth. Detectives did finally receive the clothes worn by Patsy the 26, something they'd been requesting since basically the day of John Bonet's death. When they finally got their hands on them, they instantly noticed that they smelled and looked brand new. The Ramses may have been able to talk their way out of this until Detective noticed that the shirt wasn't even the right size. So she went out and got replacement clothes and then didn't even get the right size? Apparently. I don't know if she actually went out. I highly doubt in this period when the media was still hounding them. I doubt she went out and went shopping. I'm sure she sent someone else and they... Got her a red turtleneck? Yeah, they oopsie. Grabbed her a small when she's a medium or some shit. The Ramsey's lawyers also let detectives know that the P.I., movers, and other people had all touched the clothing, so any evidence found on them was useless. By the way, these have been touched by the whole world, so you can't use them as evidence. Convenient, eh? At this point, it was pretty obvious they did this on purpose to further skew the investigation. One thing they were able to match was fibers that were found on the sticky side of the duct tape over John Bonet's mouth to one of Patsy's jackets. It was only a small finding, but meant a lot to those who believed Patsy was involved, as John had removed the tape from John Bonet and left it in the basement, and Patsy never went down there the 26th. This meant the tape had to be in somewhat close proximity to Patsy's jacket or Patsy herself. And the duct tape was found in the house, or they never found the roll of tape, or...? No, they only had the little piece that was over her mouth that John took off right away when he found her body. Well, he probably the killer probably found the duct tape when he was looking for a pen and a piece of paper, and just it was just that convenient. He just found the junk drawer. Yeah, that they kept all their stuff in. <laughs> they probably could have pulled open the junk drawer a little bit farther, and there was the duct tape. But they were not trying to implicate the Ramses, so instead they went and searched every other person in the zip code for duct tape. Yeah, I think the duct tape was there. Is what I'm getting at. And pretty much almost every house has duct tape, so. Her fibers being on something that they had found in the house wouldn't be anything too admissible. Like, 
it's her house, of course. Her fibers are going to be all over. She could say, I had a roll of duct tape in my pocket. And they just happened to find oh, it. Oh, Patsy. What's yeah. that in your pocket there? Yeah, well, I was duct taping... Duct my taping my duct shut. Yeah, I don't know, but her 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 fibers being on duct tape doesn't really prove anything. It kind of does house. though, because when you peel it off, then it goes from being clean and new, and then you like you know how you rip it off and stick it on to yourself for a second so that you can do well, it there so was, you can strangle your daughter yeah, out real quick. If there was an intruder in the house and they were in the closet and they had their they pulled their duct tape out all silently and ripped it in the closet. Oh, yeah. oh look at that fibers. It could but still it be an intruder. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here. I honestly don't believe that it wasn't Patsy that put the duct tape on. It was only the fibers from her jacket on the duct tape. That was it. Like I said, closet full of jackets. Maybe. Why would they, if they're there for John Bonet, though, why would they be in Patsy's closet? It was a downstairs coat closet. I think if someone purposefully was trying to frame Patsy, there would be a lot more, because I think there's only like four fibers on the duct tape. And they probably would have signed the ransom note, Patsy. They'd have been like, this particular note, we don't know who it's from. It's obviously someone being set up. As they always did, the Ramses got something in return from the PD for supplying their clothes. Commander Beckner allowed them full access to all exculpatory evidence against them and promised to publicly state that there was no evidence that showed Jean Bonnet had suffered from prior vaginal abuse, even though the expert pediatricians announced there was. The expert pediatricians had already announced that to the media? Or like, how do we find out about this? Did they keep their word? I don't think they did. I don't think they ever went in front of the media and said she was never vaginally abused. Did they say she was? It's really hard to find any of the media interviews or anything on this because it was so long ago. And people generally don't keep their video, their VHS tapes of news recordings for that long. And then upload them to YouTube, unfortunately. Someone should get on that. I mean, there are 365 days of news a year, and honestly, one of those interviews could have been on any number of days that didn't get recorded or uploaded later in life. There's definitely some room for shit to be lost. Yeah. Now that the Ramses were caught up on all the evidence against them and knew what to expect from police, they had their minister contact detectives to arrange a meeting without any lawyers present. It seemed too good to be true, and was, because the Ramses contacted them not long after and told them never mind, their lawyers were refusing to let them go. Obviously, any good lawyer would. What was the point of the meeting if it had happened? Like, why were they trying to set this meeting up? It was supposed to be their interview since they'd never been formally interviewed by police. They were like, oh, we're going to cooperate. So here they don't want their lawyers. They just want cops. Yeah. Now, are the family lawyers also kind of culpable for keeping the Ramsey secrets? Or is this just them doing their job? I think they were just doing their job. Confidentiality, Roar. I know, but there's got to be something in there about knowing your client is 100% guilty. <laughs> I think that it still applies because, like... That's the point of a defense lawyer, though, is you know they're guilty and you try to prove that they're either not guilty or not guilty of a crime that severe. Yeah, like you just accidentally pushed your daughter down the stairs, then you strangled her as an afterthought. While this was going on, Don Foster, a linguist expert responsible for the capture and conviction of Ted Kaczynski, was going over the ransom note. He looked at it before, first for the DA to prove that Santabil wasn't the author. Now comparing it to Patsy, he determined, quote, the ransom note was the work of a single individual, Patsy Ramsey. With this damning evidence, the police commander came up with two of the worst plans possible. First was to wait until Burke was 18 and interview him, and the second was to mic up Patsy's minister and get a confession from her on her deathbed. Did they have a plan to actually get Patsy onto said deathbed, 
Or are they just planning to try to wait it out? No, the police did not plan to kill Patsy Ramsey. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that's a really strange plan. Like, all right, we're just going to wait until she uh, confesses to the minister someday. Yeah, that was it. They were like, I just have to wait till she dies. This will take zero police effort for the next 20 years. Woohoo! I don't like that plan for the record. I think it's a stupid plan. It's called the long game. <laughs> the <Yeah>. cheap game. <laughs> he wanted everyone off his ass and he was like, everyone keeps saying I need a plan. So Officially, here's the plan. Here's my yeah. plan. We just wait like 30, 40 years and we can go through with it. Well, I'll be dead. I, I'm pretty sure he was rolling his bones on Burke there turning 18 first. Well, you got a fair point. Little did he know. Yeah, the second was like backup in case Burke refused to talk, which yeah. he did. Surprisingly, the DA was the one that made the move, announcing the Ramses as prime suspects and that there was enough probable cause for a grand jury indictment. The only catch was they actually couldn't issue an indictment, and if they became a runaway grand jury and did so, the DA's office was not required to prosecute. At the end of April, the 12 jurors and five alternates were selected, unknowing that they would be busy for the next year. What's a runaway jury? Basically, when, because the grand jury is called and you can have them either indict or not indict and just basically prove that evidence is legitimate. So a runaway grand jury is when you're not looking for an indictment and they decide they go far enough and try to indict. Oh, so they're like, fuck this guy. Basically. Yeah, they're like, I know you don't want to prosecute, but there's enough evidence Ooh. for an indictment on this and we're going to give so you that. when a grand jury is called, the Ramses don't really know about it or don't have to be present for it. They don't have to be present, okay. no. Unless they're subpoenaed, then they have to, unless they want a contempt charge. Don Foster, the expert linguist, came forward with what he believed was the meaning behind SBTC. He said that in the Ramsey home, John's Bible was open to Psalms 35, which reads, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and buckler, arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. The first letter of each line is CTBS, the exact reversal of SBTC. So this whole verse is about defeating those who fight with you, pretty I'm, much? You, I, I was hoping you could give insight into the Bible verse, because I don't know. To me, it sounds like, uh, you know, God will defeat people who fight with you. So if you ask me, this is more evidence that it was Patsy, because... They, her and JonBenet got in that little rift about that red turtleneck. I'm thinking it was uh, part of their abuse of JonBenet, that when she did something wrong or had been accused of doing something wrong, that they screamed, Take up thy javelin! Verses at her from the Bible <laughs> and beat her. So this would be a creepy fucking verse to yell while you're beating the shit out of a little kid for sure. Good fucking God, Rory. <laughs> Yours is so dark, I'm going to stick with my red turtleneck fight. I've never read the Bible, so I don't know. Well, you just read a passage from it, and did you feel like it'd be super creepy if a child got beat while someone was screaming that? Yeah, if someone just screamed, I am your salvation. Yeah, that's pretty awful. The Bible's scary, but continue on, please. You guys don't want me to do my screamy voice and I am your salvation? Because I've got the John Ramsey screamy voice down. I think we're good. Foster scoured the Bible and found the letters in this order do not appear anywhere else in the Bible except for the one page John's Bible was open to. This, of course, is just a guess, but seems to be the most logical one ever presented. But aren't the Ramses really that clever? Or is, like, the reversals of the letters uh, a nod to the great beast of the underworld? No, I think she just looked at the Bible and saw letters and then was like, no, I'll get that. She was probably just sitting across from John while he was reading from it and screaming at his child. And uh, just saw him upside down and was like, ooh, SBTC. 
I have a feeling she was probably, if we're saying that Patsy did it, she was probably panicking. And if you're this Christian, the first thing you do when you panic is grab your Bible. Once Foster came forward with his findings, the DA said, oh, by the way, Don Foster wrote Patsy Ramsey a letter letting her know he thought she was innocent. Wait, 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 wait. He wrote this letter, but pre- but after he wrote this letter, then he said that the the ransom note was her? He wrote her the letter in the very beginning of the investigation. So right after John Bonet was murdered. he felt bad for her. Probably like, he thought she was innocent. Sorry, lady. I feel bad for you. Here's a nice letter. Oh, shit. I shouldn't have wrote that. I mean, she got a lot of outpouring of people saying, I don't think you did it. I'm sorry this happened to you. So I'm sure he was just another one of those people. Mm-hmm. It was 96. You had to write people letters. You can like get on their Facebook wall and be like, hey, I'm so sorry. Well, that's how you do it these days, and it's much easier and much less communication with people. They'd had this letter for ten months, holding onto it until the findings pointed to Patsy and then dropping it on detectives. They were fine with Foster's letter, as to them it showed he originally thought she was innocent until he viewed the ev- evidence against her as a court case would go. The DA disagreed and dropped him as an expert, claiming his findings would never hold up in court. So essentially they dropped him for being wishy-washy. They dropped him for pointing a finger at Patsy. Oh, so they were cool with him when he had fucking when he been said, supporting Patsy, and now all of a sudden he changed his mind, and they were like, boom, banhammer. Yeah, exactly. They were probably going to use that letter as, this linguist episode, uh, expert said that here in a letter to Patsy that he didn't believe it happened, and then all of a sudden he's like, bullshit, I saw the evidence, she's guilty as fuck. All right, well that's unfortunate for Mr. Don Foster. With the two-year anniversary of John Bonet's murder quickly approaching, detectives had interviewed 590 people, consulted 64 experts, investigated and cleared over 100 suspects, collected 1,058 pieces of evidence, tested 500 of those pieces, collected handwriting from 215 people, written and gathered over 30,000 pages of case files, and we're now back at square one once again. That seems like a huge waste of money and a lot of work for nothing. And this is 96, so imagine all the trees they killed to do all that fucking paperwork. Yeah, carbon copies of everything and stuff. (laughs) And all because uh, they got hindered, so they couldn't investigate the true murderers. What detectives didn't know was that John had written the DA's office, complaining the Boulder PD was looking into no one but them and wanting to set the record straight. He, Patsy, and Burke all agreed to interviews without any law enforcement presence. So who did the interviews without Johnny Law there? The district attorney's office. Oh, so they just literally didn't want the cops there, but the ter- the DA could be was running shit. Mm-hmm. <sighs> they were probably old golfing buddies or something. So again, just because rich white people don't need supervision or what? Like that's what they thought. I mean, lawyers like to throw a bunch of shit out on the table and see what sticks. So like, if they agree to this, this is binding. We can use this in court. Or can you imagine if they threw all the shit out on the table and then everyone just started eating it? That's basically what's happening here. Oh. And the DA's office can do their own investigations, like off to the side, if they want something else to stand up better in court for them. They're the prosecutors. The way they're acting in this makes them look like they're the defense attorneys. But That's they're so confusing. technically the ones that should be proving the Ramses are guilty. Trying oh. to nail them to the wall. Wait, you're telling me the whole time DA didn't stand for defense attorney in this? Oh, <laughs> man, I've been giving them way too much slack. District attorneys are your state prosecutors, so when you see state versus... Detectives were eventually filled in, but little information was learned. 
John at one point claimed he used binoculars from Brick's room and noticed a suspicious truck parked in an alley by their home on the morning of the 26th, and that they received a hang-up phone call, but neither were verified. When he was asked why they were in such a rush to return to Atlanta after John Bonet's death, he said Patsy enjoyed the South, liked shopping, and couldn't find lipstick in Boulder. She should have gone through John Bonet's lipstick. I'm sure there was some in there. Yeah, I mean, Boulder isn't known as lipstick town for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he also said that John Bonet started doing pageants after she saw an ad for one in the local newspaper. No one questioned why a four-year-old was browsing the advertisement section of a newspaper. Nothing goes better with Gogurt and Saturday morning cartoons than a tantalizing jaunt through the morning classified. Well, honestly, I used to read the Sunday Funnies, and I thought they were a great time when I was a kid. When you and were four? I, yeah. That's I not mean, the classifieds. The, it was, but I would also skim through the advertisements for toy advertisements and things. Still not the classifieds. You're getting a little warmer. Do you know what the classifieds are? They're a list. Black and white. They say, like, for sale, cars. But if they have pictures dress your on daughter them, up kids like look at pictures. I'm just saying that when the newspaper was around, kids looked at the newspaper. Not That's when not they were four language. and couldn't read. I was four, four and could read. You could read yeah, a newspaper advertisement? Yeah, I don't think I could read a four. I think I read the newspaper probably starting when I was, like, whenever I was old enough to daydream about getting a car. So nine or ten. Then I started looking at classifieds. I okay. Do you think you looked at the you could look at the word pageant when you were four years old and know what it meant? Yeah, they had to order special books for me when I was in kindergarten. <laughs> that was stupid. the wrong type of special, Rory. <laughs> I'm gonna call Nancy right now. And you I'm can, gonna verify. You can tell her that she'll tell you that I was a very a very advanced reader. All right, Nancy, email us and well, let us know yeah, when I'll, I'll message her right now while we're Rory doing started this. reading and I will read it on the next episode. Yeah, I was a good reader from age Four to age now. I readered good. I was a good reader. Jesus I knew all the words. <laughs> I knew them all. There's tremendous words. Basically, I was a good reader. And Did I, you have a job, too, so you could pay for all the toy ads? Uh, yes. <laughs> all the toys that you bought through the newspaper? <laughs> Rory had a bigly vocabulary. I did. His bigly <laughs> still is. All the words. I was a voracious reader. <laughs> he has the words. He has the best words. I learn all my words from reading, okay? All of them. Every word I know is from reading. That's how most people learn. It's literally <laughs> the only way. <laughs> like, the teacher wrote a word on the board when you were a kid, and then you had to read it. Yeah, I didn't read it to you. I learn every word I know by reading. Fucker. Okay, can, can we get back to the fucking yeah, topic here? Oh yeah, so no, yeah, no. I believe that you would be looking at uh, the the paper. I looked at the paper when I was a kid. Not even that I read it. You can still look at it and be like, you see a little girl and she's dancing on the fucking stage or something. Be like, I want to do that. I don't think they put those pictures in there. Well, whatever. I'm just saying I could see it happen. It was during this interview that those famous clips of Patsy getting angry with interviewers surfaced, where she tells them to go back to the dang drawing board. I don't know. Do you guys want to try your best? Best Southern accent on that one, because I can't. Y'all need to go back. <laughs> <laughs> Not like that. Not like cousin fucker, but like sophisticated Southern accent. Y'all need to go back to the drawing board. My dear, you don't need to go back to the dang drawing board. All right, well, it didn't sound like that, so picture the opposite of those. Y'all need to go back to that dang drawing board. Y'all be going back to getting drawing board. Yep. Do you want to listen to it? 
Yes. And so you okay. guys can compare. I did not kill my child. I didn't have a thing to do with it. And I'm not talking somebody's guess or some rumor or some story. I'm I don't care what you're talking about. I'm talking about I, scientific evidence. I don't give a flying flip how scientific it is. Go back to the damn drawing board. I didn't do it. John Ramsey didn't do it, and we didn't have a clue of anybody who did do it. After the third day of interviews, the DA approached detectives and let them know they still weren't 100% sure about the grand jury and were considering opening a brand new investigation into Santaville. Which I highly endorse. At this point, Detective Steve Thomas knew the case was going absolutely nowhere and turned in his badge, retiring from the Boulder PD. So the case was so fucked up that it caused the main detective to retire? Yeah, basically. He went and started a food franchise with his brother, Dave Thomas. Founder of Wendy's. <laughs> so this happened way, way, way before then, because Wendy's has been around since, like, 1908. Oh, really? Yeah, square patties, bro. Oh, interesting. He was a carpenter. Jesus. Dave Thomas? Steve Thomas was a carpenter after this, not not a Wendy's founder. And then they put the sawdust in the hamburgers. Saves money. Interesting. The DA were relieved their biggest competition was gone and started the investigation from scratch, assigning three investigators to the Ramsey theory and three to the intruder theory. Undercover officers were assigned to follow Santa Bill in hopes of proving he wasn't the frail old man completely incapable of killing John Bonet. At one point, they were convinced they caught him with the same cord used to tie up John Bonet, but after looking at it for three seconds, they knew it was different. And even if it was the same cord, would having the same cord two or three years after the murder even be considered evidence of anything? Depends on how badly you want someone to be your suspect. Or if there's blood on it. Or blonde hair wrapped in it? I mean, yeah, then it would definitely be evidence. What if it was the different cord, but it had blonde hair and blood on it? Then he mar- he murdered another blonde child. Or a woman. It didn't have any of those things on it, just for the record. After this, they realized they were going in circles since he had been cleared as a suspect and dropped him. The grand jury, after meeting on and off for over a year, finally returned their findings. They ruled that there was probable cause to indict the Ramseys on child endangerment leading to death and obstructing a murder investigation. Both the DA's office and the grand jury knew that there was not enough evidence to take the indictment to trial, so nothing ever came of it. In December 2002, a new DA took over the case. In a 2003 libel and slander case, she agreed with the judge that the evidence pointed towards an intruder being responsible for John Denae's murder. So the Ramseys sued for libel and slander? I honestly couldn't. I'm pretty sure, but I couldn't find anything about said libel and slander case. I mean, they both have to be 100% untrue for there to be a slander or libel case against them, right? I mean, yeah, technically, but I don't know who the case was against or who... Probably against Burke. It was, yeah, it was odd. No, his was later. Okay. He did file a slander lawsuit. The case went quiet until 2004, when one of the Ramsey's lawyers announced DNA found in John Bonet's panties didn't match any of the samples in CODIS, the FBI's DNA database. The DNA also ruled out John, Patsy, and Burke. On June 24, 2006, after being diagnosed a second time with ovarian cancer in 2002, Patsy Ramsey died. And did she say anything on her deathbed about murdering her daughter? No, she made a joke that some people took too seriously that was like... They better hurry it up because I'm about to die here. 
Or they better hurry up and catch the guy because I'm going to die or something like that. And everyone was like, oh, they meant they better hurry up because she's dying and she's the one that did it. And she's going to confess on her deathbed. But I don't, I think she just was jokingly like, better hurry up because I can catch him before I die. So he's caught. All right. Well, either way, that plan went down the, down in the hole with Patsy. Two months after her death, John Mark Carr was arrested in Bangkok, Thailand. The investigation into Carr began when he sent emails to a University of Colorado professor claiming he was close friends with little girls and under investigation in four states for child murder and molestation. Weird flex, but okay. The emails continued, and in 2005, Carr asked the professor to go to the Ramsey home and read a poem he'd written for John Bonet titled John Bonet, My Love. John Bonet, my love, my life. I love you and shall forever love you. I pray that you can hear my voice calling out to you from the darkness, this darkness that now separates us. If there is to be a life for me after this one, I pray that it is with you, together, forever, with you. And other little girls who are now gone from my life forever. This would be my heaven. Just the afterthought there with the other little girls? Yeah, no, it's like... What a fucking weirdo. Yeah, no, this guy's creepy. So who is this guy, really? Nobody. He's just nobody? Yeah, he... He's friends with little girls. Okay, yeah. He claimed when he was arrested after these emails that he was with JonBenet when she died, and it was an accident, and then they took his DNA, and it turned out he didn't kill her. He wasn't involved at all. He was just weirdly obsessed with her and wanted to be arrested for her death. Interesting. Weird. Fame seeker? I don't know. I think he just really legitimately probably believed that he was responsible himself, but he wasn't. So he was just super weirdo, creepy fuck who was obsessed with John Bonet probably and just kind of trying to stick himself into the case there. Yeah, he got pretty close, but didn't quite get prosecuted for it. It's like, damn it, I didn't leave my semen behind. Yet another district attorney took over in 2006, and a profile of touch DNA left on what every news source described as John Bonet's long johns was created. Is this the first time we're hearing about these long johns? I think this is the first time they described them that way. Everything else just was like her pajamas and now they i don't know who would sleep in long johns but i guess long johns could be a colloquialism for sleeping clothes in certain areas of the world possibly yeah i don't know i see them as the stuff you put on under your which i guess it was it was winter in colorado so she might have just she might have been wearing legitimate ass long johns yeah long johns. and fell asleep in them but still ram or patsy said that she was in her red turtleneck when she went to bed so huh Nothing new came from the investigation until 2008, when the DA went before the public and exonerated the Ramseys. The case was closed until 2010, when it was reopened again and is still open. So far, the only information we've gotten since then is that DNA found came from two people rather than one, and in 2016, the Boulder PD announced they would be sending the DNA for even further testing. As of 2020, most of the world believes that the case will never be solved and justice will never be found for John Bonet. The last hope is familial DNA discovered through genealog- genealogy databases may someday match DNA found in John Bonet's panties and long johns. If you've ever submitted DNA to 23andMe, Ancestry, or any genetic testing service, you can request a copy of your DNA and submit it to GED Match, a database used by law enforcement to help solve cold cases, most notably used to capture Joseph James D'Angelo, also known as Erons or the Golden State Killer. It's on us to help solve these cases that may never be solved without the help of the public, including JonBenet Ramsey's death. It's also possible that DNA will continue to be useless, and evidence will eventually prove that John, Patsy, or Burke were involved in her death. For now, we can only make assumptions, and that's what we're going to do now. Well, who do you think did it? Who do I think did it? Okay, I'll tell you guys exactly who did it, okay? 
if you notice, just as with everything, the longer the case goes, the more we learn. And here, where we, uh, in, in uh, 2016, where they announced that it came from two people rather than one. And you know what two people that was? That was John Mark Carr and Santa Bill. I'm not sure which one of them actually did the strangulation, but all that matters is that in the, in the end, they both stood over John Bonet and whoosh, blood sacrifice. Pinprick on their finger or maybe slit their wrists. Do you think their connection was that John Mark Carr killed his daughter? Yeah, he killed or everybody. Or kidnapped his daughter? No, that was Santa didn't. Bill. Santa Bill's daughter. Didn't his daughter get kidnapped? She was kidnapped, but she did not die. She wasn't molested. Wasn't other, one of the other ones killed, though? No, one of the kids that he was played Santa oh. for Yeah, that was, was John Mark Carr, too. They both have a history, okay, of children being molested or abused or go missing or any of the above. And this was a blood sacrifice, and their DNA's mixed, and that's why threw everything off and you can't that's why they're like oh well we know it's two now we don't actually know who well they have their dna i'm pretty sure it's... john mark carr got arrested and brought back from bangkok yeah but it's scooged together ah can't see scooge dna no yeah once the dna scooges together so is that your theory then that's my uh like off the wall theory i mean obviously it was either patsy or burke that actually did it but I'm going to stick with this because I like the off-the-wallness of it, and uh, because you guys kibashed my other theory. Speaking of off-the-wall, I don't know if you guys are all ready for this truth bomb I'm about to drop on you. So, ritualistic sex abuse, satanic sacrifices, the Illuminati funding the entire operation as a distraction for the mounting concerns over Martian meteorites showing prior life on Mars to hide proof of alien infestation on Earth, the deregulation of the FCC causing the need of television content in the 24-hour news cycle, you need to feed the sharks by creating an obsessive story to boost ratings and increase profits for the major players in America. Those are a few of the theories. But the one I'm going to read actually is my favorite. It's uh, the 9-11 link to John Bonet. Who actually killed John Bonet, what their end goal was, and how it links to 9-11. Now, this gets really confusing. Um, Where are you reading this from? Shh. <laughs> we're not giving them any... Oh, we're not crediting them? No. Okay. No, because the reason I won't credit them is because I feel this theory gets a little racist around halfway through. So Are we going to stop before that? Nope. I feel like most 9-11 theories get kind get of racist. racist. This one gets... Uh, it's out there, but I'm going to start it off, and this is the Jean Benet Ramsey connection to the 9-11 attacks. John Bonet, I'm going to have to read this really fast, by the way, because uh, it's how it happens in your head when someone is uh, talking about conspiracy theories. The same way that you were just reading that other bullshit really fast? Correct. Okay. I'm sure we'll be able to hang with you just fine for the next 10 minutes. All right. You ready, guys? You're not, but get ready. Jean Benet Ramsey was murdered by the former Royal Canadian Air Force Colonel Russell Williams and his team working on behalf of the secret government of the Americas connected the powerful Hudson Bay Company and the Rupert Land Powers working in the British Empire, City of London Corporation. Colonel Russell Williams is a former pilot of the Dom Malta, Elizabeth Mary II. Notice the depravity of the Russell Williams who now sits at 
sits in a jail for murder and rape. John Benet Ramsey was tasered twice in the head, raped and then strangled by this creature and his team. Not one piece of serial identification confetti was left of the crime scene by the taser. It is believed that one of the assassination team members was Carla Homolka, who was secretly released from the jail by the Correctional Service of Canada, utilizing the joint automated booking system of Nortel and the common access cards of Circo Mega Corporation. It goes on. The ransom note demanded some was tied closely to John Ramsey's work bonus in order to try and frame John and Ramsey and his wife for the assassination cover-up as a normal murder. Further disinformation about this murder is pumped out by the so-called alternative media, like David Icke claiming it was a sacrificial murder for by Satanists for the last bulb on a tree of an ancient ritual. Why would the girl have to be assassinated at all? Her father had controls over the U.S. Navy Command Center based in the Pentagon, the same area of the Pentagon that was fitted out by Amec PLC, who were in on the attack who controlled the film studio's Cooney, used by the Naudet Brothers' French DGSE to film the plane hitting the World Trade Center. John Ramsey had access to control the network time protocols management of servers used for the country continuity of government program this program includes systems to hand over control of the united states to the shadow government or of a trusted foreign government through the public key infrastructure work network john ramsey was a ceo and president of a subsidiary of lockheed martin called access graphics ramsey was not playing ball with the enemies of america and thus threatened the enemy's plan to disrupt the war games to aid the coup d'etat of the united states of america on 9-11 please study what happened to the family of john ramsey over a period of time and see how the family suffered at the hands of foreign enemy from accidents and to disease it can done no it continues oh for fuck's sake the 9-11 attacks were not planned in caves they were planned in new jerusalem and <laughs> inner sovereign area within the sovereign land known as the city of london square mile in britain the planning was created by the members of the most honorable military order of the bath under Great Master Char- Prince Charles, working with Prince Philip and Prince Andrew, control over the operations on the day of 9-11 were under the Guild of Air Pilots and Air Navigators, as well as the Worshipful Company of Shipwrights. The final planning and execution of the attacks were managed from Rupert Land in Canada under the Hudson Bay Company. The execution of 9-11 attacks were by Bombardier Master Trust using Colonel Russell Williams as the Royal Canadian Air Force, taking control over the NORAD operations. The power over Washington, D.C. was transferred to the capital using PKI systems and passed over in Chicago before finally ending up in the U.K. Ministry of Defense and Jeff Hoon. <laughs> Please take a look into the Illuminati Harriman family connection to the Colonel Russell Williams. The Harrimans are Satanists, connected to the Russell Trust and its Chapter 322 roots. Look into the wealth and power of Edward H. Harriman and the connection to the Bush family, Jesuit trained at Georgetown University. William Clinton, the former president of the United States, was very connected to Pamela Harriman. <sighs> Wherever you look, you find connections to the opium trade, such as the Hong Kong Shanghai Bangkok Corporation, House of Keswick, linked to Andrew Saxon, a member of the Canadian government. I'm not entirely sure that anybody wants to hear the rest so, of this. So, it was Canada and Carla Homolka. How did she get involved? She was part of the strike team to take out John Bonet. Yeah. Okay. So, the whole connection is that the man, there was a strike team that was used to take out John Bonet because John Ramsey had found out about the foreign powers and shadow government's interest in moving power from america to their own shadow government they wanted to use his keys his commands and when he didn't play game they came back and played hardball through the royal canadian air force colonel by killing and raping his daughter yes russell williams and this highly connected russell williams decided to leave the body rather than dispose of it and never ever ever even have to worry about getting caught well they were doing it to frame uh john and patsy it's all a frame-up job so Patsy's a Patsy. Patsy, 
in this situation is a patsy. Oh, he said it! Rory said it. It's been coming. It's been coming. And now, I, I really do want to go ahead and out there and say I honestly don't believe that it was uh, this guy. I um, want The to. Canadian so Royal Air Force. Homolka? I, I don't think it was either of these people. <laughs> this is such an out there theory, but I just want to go on They're my favorite. say that we could have given Rory a whole episode to do that. He yeah. could have just read that by himself in this room. So, <laughs> but the things... I, I want to point out that we actually talked about is my, my theory 100% is that Burke did it not necessarily on purpose. I think they were honestly uh, horsing around, having a little horseplay. And through that, Burke accidentally knocked John Bonet over, hit her head. They panicked. And when the parents left the room to go get her in the car or something, he just ended her by strangulation. It was an afterthought, but oh, they were like he oh. wanted to put her out of his misery because there was some lesson that he had been taught from the Bible that said put something out of your misery or some bullshit like that. But I do think it was Burke that did it, and I think that John and Patsy covered up for their most loved child. But the John Benet Ramsey connection to the nine eleven attacks is pretty fun, and so is the ritualistic satanic or satanic ritualistic abuse stuff. I mean, it's all fairly fun to think about, but in reality, it was probably someone in the family. In reality, it was probably Santa Bill, John Mark Carr, slicing their wrists over John Bonet's body. Okay. Lifeless corpse. My turn. Katie, it's your turn. Who do you think it is? I think it was Patsy. Okay. Why? I think it was Patsy by herself. So, I think that obviously John Bonet had a bedwetting problem. And further than that, she soiled the bed. So, I think she was already irritated with her because of the whole outfit thing. And I'm sure going to a Christmas party in Christmas time. She was stressed and she went in to check on JonBenet. JonBenet had wet the bed. She had a specific way of punishing her and some vaginal abuse weird corporal punishment thing happened and she took it too far and she hit her head, slammed her head into a countertop because it was a rectangular. And then my thing is that if you guys remember, the their house cleaner had said that John Bonet was going to get kidnapped. I think when Patsy seriously injured John Bonet, she immediately thought of that and said, well, someone said it was a possibility that she would get kidnapped, so I'm going to go with that. And she panicked, wrote out a three-page ransom note, and then strangled her as a staging to make it look like she was kidnapped. And then waited till the next morning to call the police. Yeah. I mean, this I'm I'm sure it all took quite a while between the murder and the freaking out and having to write the ransom note and set the scene and cleaning everything up so it didn't look like it had occurred probably in a bathroom. Okay, I, that makes sense to me. So you think she just died and got away with it? Did she tell John, you think? Or was he in the dark about the whole thing? For the, was, was the family culpable or complicit in any of this? I don't think Burke knew anything about it. I think John probably knew. I'm sure she at some point told him, but I don't know when. I have a feeling that Probably when they, what if it was when they decided to put the body at the bottom of the stairs? He was like, we gotta, we can't just leave. She had the body hidden or something. He was like, we gotta go. We have to make it found. Yeah, it's possible that Patsy wanted to leave her outside. And John, as the more obviously loving parent in that situation, said, no, we can't do that. It's cold. Parents don't leave their murdered kids outside when it's Yeah, you might as well just leave your kid outside Boulder. beforehand. I honestly think that they, she probably was outside for a little bit and then brought inside. More than likely, yeah. I Probably out in the car, actually. Oh. And then, yeah, or out it's... in the snow somewhere? I don't know 
Because it's odd that John was the only one that found her, even though that room had been checked so many times, but he was also the only one that knew where the light switch was. So uh, that makes sense. It's possible that he was the only one that actually went in there and knew how to turn the lights on and was able to see her. So I feel like that'd be my first thing when I go in there. I'm like, where's the lights? Find the lights. It was it was a weird room, so they were kind of tucked away in an odd spot, so you had to know where they were. You weren't going to find them. It's not like you could just like brush the walls and flip the lights on. So I'm like 50-50. I don't know if he was involved. I think he knew what happened, but I don't think he took part. I probably agree with Katie, though. She's put more research and time into this than anyone else, but um, all theories with- are basically valid except for Jake's. <laughs> My theory is the truth, and you should not be deceived you should not be led astray. I just read the people of the truth. How can there be two, two truths, Jake? Well, in reality, Katie's is probably the truth, but uh, mine is still valid because, like you said, nobody knows. Okay. And science cannot prove me wrong. All right, guys. Well, what we want you to do this week is we want you to send us some of your theories. Theories, yeah. Send us what you think happened. Yeah, tell us who you think it is after listening to all of the episodes. Why don't you go ahead and give us... Your best theory, and if we like it, we'll read it on air. We can do that. Yeah, and we'll send you a sticker either way. Yeah, we'll send you a sticker. We'll do it a, if we get a few of these. We'll just do a bonus episode reading them. We'll okay, see. that'd and be pretty cool. You guys want to hear me shout at you about uh, conspiracy theories a little more? <laughs> Let us know that too, because I can shout for days about conspiracy. Me and Katie don't even have to sit here and listen. No, I'll just be in this room in the dark by myself. Shouting you have to be in the you. dark. Oh yeah, I mean, for what I'm screaming about, probably. And so you could read that, that green text on the black yeah, background easier. You have to be in the dark. Yeah, it's it's really hard to see it in the light. All right, guys, thanks for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us a message at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. F-O-U-R, cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast, on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast, and on Twitter at fourcornerscrime. Four Corners Crime. With the number four. And also, don't forget, you guys, uh, give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and uh, check us out wherever you get your podcasts every week. And now you can go to uh, fourcornerscrimecast.com, F-O-U-R, cornerscrimecast.com, <laughs> and uh, check it out there. We've got a whole episode list and some bullshit and you can order your stickers if you want a free sticker just go over there add it to your cart put in the promo code bingo bango and uh we'll get you a sticker out asap so um in the meantime uh we will talk to you guys next week